0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host Rory Monahan. The podcast as always is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware plus more. And also by LiquidWare the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions and by Goliath Technologies who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot and prevent end user experience issues regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these great sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Stack Overflow, a site known by pretty much everyone in IT, I'd imagine. I mean, if you have searched anything scripted related over the last 10 or 15 years, I guess, I'm not really sure how long, but you'll surely have wound up on Stack Overflow. It's good news for the creators and hopefully okay for all of us, but Stack Overflow has been acquired by a company called Prosys for 1.8 billion, according to techcrunch.com. The founders of Stack Overflow, released a statement saying, quote, today we're pleased to announce that Stack Overflow is joining Process. Process is an investment and holding company, which means that the most important part of this announcement is that Stack Overflow will continue to operate independently with the exact same team in place that has been operating it according to the exact same plan and the exact same business practices. Don't expect to see major changes or awkward synergies The business of Stack Overflow will continue to focus on reach and relevance and Stack Overflow for teams. The entire company is staying in place. We just have different owners now." End quote. And I saw online, a lot of people were like, who are process? And even in the statement from the founders, they're basically addressing, you know, who process are. They aren't a small time player by any means. They've made some pretty large acquisitions in the past too. So hopefully this does turn out to be good for the health of the site and things don't change too much. And it's definitely got to be good for at least the founders and some of the team at Stack Overflow. So congratulations to them. According to a report from The Verge, Microsoft started sending invites to media for a Windows event on June 24th. Both Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella and Chief Product Officer Panas Panay will be presenting at the Windows event, and Microsoft's event will start at 11 a.m. Eastern or 8 a.m. Pacific on that day. So I've been reporting on some changes being made like UI tweaks to Windows 10 in the Insider Preview. I also reported on rumors of a next generation Windows, and the speculation is that this event on the... 24th of June will be the official unveiling of the next generation Windows desktop OS. So it should definitely be of interest. There's been some memes about Windows 11, which I think they said there would never be a Windows 11. But I think also what Windows 10 has morphed into with the release cycle and the release cadence and how large some of the releases have been. Maybe there's going to be such a large release that it does constitute being at Windows 11, but I guess we'll see. We'll find out pretty soon. Microsoft now supports storing data for Windows Virtual Desktop not just in the United States but now also in Europe. More geographies will be added as the service grows according to their statement. The stored information is encrypted at rest and geo-redundant mirrors are maintained within the geography customer data such as app settings and user data resides in the location that the customer chooses and isn't managed by the service so essentially now it looks like there's a way to ensure that all data relevant to wvd stays within europe which is good for compliance reasons bloomberg had an interesting article about a trend of employees quitting instead of returning to work in the office Though the trend appears to be mostly anecdotal at this point, my favorite part of the article was a section that said, quote, there's the notion that some bosses, particularly those of a generation less familiar to remote work, are eager to regain tight control of their minions. They feel like we're not working if they can't see us. It's a boomer power play. So to be fair, in my last job, I'm pretty sure my CEO and CIO were boomers. And they were actually embracing a remote work strategy before COVID-19, seeing it as making financial and logistical sense. It's possible it's a generational thing. Frankly, I think some of the people who worked at that company that I'm talking about in middle management were Gen X. They seem to be the ones who struggled with giving up control and visibility more so than the executives, at least at that time. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out LeapItComputer.com reports that the Windows version of Firefox can now automatically upgrade itself to the latest version in the background when the web browser is not running. Until now, Firefox has only downloaded and installed updates when the user runs it. This means that users that use Firefox infrequently are often out of date. Background update is now part of a staged rollout to all Windows users over the next few months as part of the beta version 89 and the release of version 89 cycles. This service is designed to allow updates to be installed without requiring the user to click yes in the UAC prompts too. And apparently at this time the feature is not planned for macOS and Linux. CNN reported this week on the fact that Microsoft claims the same Russian gang behind the SolarWinds hack was on the attack again this week, hitting 3,000 email accounts at various organizations, much of which were in the United States. One of the fake emails that appeared to originate from USAID included an authentic sender address. The email posed as a special alert that invited recipients to click on a link to view documents from former President Donald Trump on election fraud. Microsoft said that many of the attacks were blocked automatically. The company is notifying customers who were targeted and said it has no reason to believe these attacks involve any exploit against or vulnerability in Microsoft's products or services. Now, much of the article then goes on to pit the United States versus Russia on a nation versus nation angle and government versus government, which I think, frankly, for an enterprise IT-related podcast is not worth repeating. But if you want to read more on the context, which, frankly, from a technical perspective, there's not much more context to it, I'll share a link to this article, which is on fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 179. Have I Been Pwned has gone open source. Founder Troy Hunt explained to ZDNet that he's open sourcing the code because the philosophy of the site has always been to support the community, and now he wants the community to help support the site. The site is written in .NET and runs on Azure. Interestingly, the FBI have partnered with the site and will be providing credentials and information they discover in the course of their investigations too. Initially, only part of the project will be open source. As Troy explained, he is trying to figure out exactly how best to open source everything. So it's gonna be a work in progress. HPE Systems Insight Manager has a new hotfix available now to address a zero day vulnerability first disclosed in December. computercom reports that the fix was published over a month ago. And it's interesting that it took this long for a fix to be rolled out and that there wasn't really much fanfare or news related to the fix when it was first released. This week, Fujifilm have stated that Fujifilm Corporation is currently carrying out an investigation into possible unauthorized access to its servers from outside of the company, and as part of the investigation, the network is partially shut down and disconnected from external correspondence. They said that they want to state that they understand as of now and the measures that the company has taken. They stated that in the late evening of June 1st, they became aware of the possibility of a ransomware attack, and as a result, they've taken measures to suspend all affected systems. They are currently working to determine the extent and the scale of the issue, and apologize to customers and business partners for the inconvenience this has caused. BleepyComputer.com reports that Fujifilm have stated their email and phone systems are down, but the company hasn't disclosed much more detail, and the full impact is unknown at the time of this recording. In an absolutely bonker story, Norton have announced Norton Crypto, a new feature designed to enable customers to safely and easily mine cryptocurrency through its trusted Norton 360 platform. I had to laugh when I said trusted. Not because Norton can't be trusted, just in the context of a story of this new Norton Crypto feature. So from this week, select Norton 360 customers in Norton's early adopter program will be invited to mine for Ethereum with the coins being stored in a Norton wallet stored in the cloud. Norton crypto is expected to become available to all Norton 360 customers in the coming weeks. It's such a strange pivot. And a couple of quick hit stories to wrap up the news for this week. First, Windows Server 2022, which has been in preview, is now available on the Evaluation Center for partners and OEMs to carry out validation. Finally, Tim Mangan's excellent TM Edit X version 1.5 is now available. It includes added full support for app installer files and installed app installers, added full support for shared package container files and installs, added compression ratios to the package UNC display, added support for signature validation, reorganized package UNC display, updated app installer format for 2008 schema, and more. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. Jeff Stokes shared an interesting blog post on Windows zombie processes and how bad code can completely hose your systems. It's a really good glimpse at how you can troubleshoot such problems using common tools like Procmon and more. Kevin Beaumont has a great thread on some of the challenges and pitfalls that are common when trying to deal with a ransomware attack. It's some really common sense things that I guess if you've never been hit with ransomware, you might not think of. So it's good to review this from the perspective of someone who has dealt with this and take notes and learn from it. This week, I also saw that my buddy Trenton Tai shared a go EUC blog post from 2019 on page file sizing for virtualized environments. I think I might have highlighted this one on a previous episode of the podcast, but I found it really interesting to go back and look at it again because when scaling up for pandemic work from home. That was one of the challenges was keeping up with the page file sizing and adapting because of more applications being provided. And finally, to highlight one of my own, I created a blog post and shared it last week on the topic of creating an automated application packaging factory using robotic process automation. So in my blog post, I'm using automate as my example and essentially what I tried to do and what I have achieved is creating these scenarios or scripts to take my application installers and to package them into multiple different formats. So for my purposes, I've completed packages in Numescent Cloud Paging, Microsoft App V and Microsoft MSIX. And part of my goal when doing this was I wanted to ensure that I could reuse as much of the scripts as possible for other applications and also for other formats too. And I was pretty successful in doing so. So I can take the steps for installing and configuring an application and just plug it into a workflow for Cloud Paging, for AppV, and for MSIX. And I also could just take a lot of the same steps for each format and reuse them in other formats too. And I think the blog post and also the accompanying demo video explains this better than maybe I can in this brief description. So you can check that out, and you can check out links to everything I've mentioned on this week's episode at 5 under reference links under episode 179. As always, thanks very much for listening, and if you do have the time and you'd like to, please consider leaving a rating or a review on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whatever you use to listen to the show. I'd appreciate it. Thanks again.